You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We're now bringing you pro-life activism from creation to death with Jim Sedlak. Hello and welcome to pro-life activism from creation to death. This is the program that is intended for all those who want to create a culture of life in the United States. Each week we bring you updates on what's going on in the pro-life movement. And on some days we bring you guests as we have for the last couple of weeks. But today we're going to spend our time basically on all the things that are happening around the country here in Washington, D.C., to bring you up to speed on on what's going on. We think it's going to be a very interesting program for you, but just to to start the program, uh, we will begin the way we always begin. And I ask you to say a Hail Mary with me to ask the Blessed Mother to shower God's graces on all involved or listening to the program so that we will receive the message that she wants each of us to get at this moment. If you would join me, please. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for saying that prayer with me. It is always a good idea whenever you begin a new activity during the day to ask Mary to shower God's graces on what you are doing. And that is why we start each of our shows with the Hail Mary. All right, this week, the Catholic Church celebrated a couple of feast days. When I say a couple, you may be surprised, but they were both on the same day. And they were both on the same event, but they look at the event uh, from different angles. Uh, Yesterday, the uh, March 25th, was the Feast of the Annunciation. The the day the church commemorates the angel Gabriel coming down from heaven, appearing to Mary, and telling Mary that she had been selected to be the mother of God. And that Christ was going to take up residence in her womb but she first had to give her approval. And Mary, after just one question on how can this be possible since I do not know man, and the angel explaining, no, it will be the Holy Spirit who will come over you and who will be uh, essentially the father of this child in your womb. Uh, Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. And at that moment, Salvation history began as Jesus took up residence in his mother's womb as an embryo, as we all human beings do, because Jesus didn't want to come down as God to just save the world. He wanted to be one of us, a human being. And so the Feast of the Annunciation commemorates Mary's yes. Mary's saying, yes, I will do this. And, of course, one of the things the angels told Mary was that her cousin was six months along with a child. And Mary quickly, after the the next day or within a couple of days, rushed off to see her cousin and to be with her uh, during her last months of pregnancy. And when Mary arrived at Elizabeth's house and greeted Elizabeth, One of the first things that Elizabeth said is the babe in my womb leaped when we heard your voice. 
And it was the, the baby of Elizabeth in the womb, who we later know as St. John the Baptist, who leapt for joy because he knew that he was in the presence of the Son of God in Mary's womb. This feast day is very important in the pro-life movement. And it's why we take a little bit of time here uh, on this pro-life program to just point it out. This, this is the beginning of Jesus's life on earth. This is what God the Father willed him to do. This is how God the Father wanted him to start his life on earth, in the womb of his mother, Mary. You know, God the Father could have sent Jesus to earth any way he wanted, right? Now, Jesus started his his ministry, his public ministry, when he was 30 years old. And so God could have just sent Jesus as a 30-year-old into the desert and have him walk out of the desert and begin preaching. And that certainly would be one way to do it. But that's not the way God chose. And it's a real message to all of us in the pro-life movement as to the importance that God places on these pre-born babies, the child in the womb. Right. He sent his only son to do just that, to start out his human life as an embryo. And then inside of Mary's womb to grow to be a fetus and then to be born and be a newborn and an infant and a toddler and so on and so on through his adult life. And finally, the, the, the event which we will commemorate next Friday which is the crucifixion. It is important that we understand the, the importance that God put on life in the womb. I have a sign in my office, and I've said this a number of times on the show, so forgive me if you've heard this before, but I have a sign in my office that says, when God wants something done, he sends a child and waits. And that's what he did with his own son, with Jesus. He sent him as a child as a embryo in the womb and then waited for him to be born, to grow up and to reach the age where he started his public ministry. That's the way God works. We need to understand that every human being begins life just like that. Every human being begins their life as a human being as an embryo and progresses through the rest of the stages before birth and after birth because that's the way God has designed it. And so the, the human being in the womb is of equal importance to the human beings who have made it out of the womb. The society today doesn't want to recognize that. Society today wants to, us to believe that life before birth is unimportant. It's some kind of a state, but it's not the state of a human being. And of course, we all know that that is completely wrong. But it is the only way that the other side can get what they want, and that is to lie. And I always tell people it is not surprising that people who kill babies for a living lie. And we have to recognize that. And we have to pray for all of those to pray for the babies in the womb, but also pray for all of those who are involved in the pro-death movement here in the United States and around the world to make it clear 
that we want them to change. We want them to recognize God's plan for human beings. Now, I mentioned two feasts this week, one being the Feast of the Annunciation. The other is the Feast of the Incarnation, right? which is Jesus taking the form of a human being as an embryo in the womb. And you can see from our discussion so far how that is extremely important and why it's sometimes called out as a separate feast, even though it occurs on the same day and even though it is the result of the same event. Uh, We just need to know that God came to earth as a human being from its very beginning as an embryo to his death on the cross. God lived here as a human being. And while he was here, he taught us how we should live. And it was very clear, you know, he gave us the Our Father. And there's one line in the Our Father that tells us how we are to live. And he says in that prayer to the Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. In Matthew chapter 7, Christ says, it is not those who say, Lord, Lord, to me, who will be in heaven, but rather those who will do the will of my Father. It is doing God's will that is of importance. And so we need to, as part of the pro-life movement, understand God's will. And um, for those of you who've been with me for a long time, you know I always tell people to go to Matthew chapter 10, which is Christ telling his apostles on how to spread his word. And that's all we're doing. We're spreading the word of God. We're spreading Christ's words that there is value in every human being from creation to death. And that's where the title of this show comes from, from creation in the womb until death. We need to focus in on that. We need to know what's going on. So um, as we remember those two feast days of this week, there are some things that um, have been happening that I want to call your attention to. Uh, First of all, I want to talk about some new data that is out on teen pregnancies and teen abortions. Now, I I, I use the word teen, and I will probably use the word teen um, throughout the the broadcast. But when I say teen, we're we're actually talking about anyone under the age of 25, because those are the, the, the kind of big measurements. When you talk to Planned Parenthood, when you talk to people who are involved in the abortion business, uh, the the 20 to 24 year olds get lumped in with the teenage years, right? To form the the biggest group that is getting abortions. And the Alan Guttmacher Institute, right, released a research report this month, in which it compared year by year from 1973 through 2017. That's the latest year for which data is available what the report was on on how many of those years, like the under 25s and the the teenagers, how many teenagers are getting pregnant and how many are having abortions. And the numbers are are interesting. We all know that abortion here in the United States has been declining from a high of about 1.6 million abortions a year Uh, back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, right, to an estimated, and and it's always estimated because nobody knows the exact number, 
what they estimated 820,000 or 50,000. It depends on, on what number you're looking at, but you're talking about going from 1.6 million down to let's say 850,000 babies. But what the, the good market report did is it broke that up by age. And there were some very startling statistics in there. Uh, the age that we're going to talk about is, is those, all the, the females up to the age of 24. And the, the pregnancies and the abortions in that age group peaked at about 1988. And so we're going to compare the numbers in 1988 to what they are today. Now, the report itself, uh, as I say, gives every year so you can choose to compare whatever years you want. We've chosen 1988 because that was the high watermark in terms of the babies being killed um, and the high watermark in terms of, of teenage pregnancies. And let's look at the numbers. Now, this is radio, so I, I'm not going to you know, belabor exact numbers for you, but I'll give you ballpark numbers. Just understand that the actual numbers um, are available in the report. If anybody wants a copy of the report and you can't find it just by searching the internet. You know, if you go to any surgeon and you put in Guttmacher, um, teen pregnancy and abortion data, 2021, the report should come up for you. If you can't and you want it, you can just email me and say copy of report in the, in the uh, subject line. My email is jsedlak at all.org. That's J-S-E-D-L-A-K at A-L-L dot O-R-G. And if you would just send me an email, put you know copy of report in the subject line, I will be very happy to email you back in a, an attachment of the report itself so that you can actually read the whole report. Uh, but the report in, in comparing, comparing pregnancy rates um, over that period of time from 1988 and in 2017, in 1988, there were 2.5 million pregnancies among mothers under the age of 25. 2.5 million pregnancies. Of those, 900,000 were aborted. So about 30 seven percent were aborted basically uh, a tremendous number of babies dying almost a million babies a year dying by abortion just from those that were under the age of 25 that number in 2017 fell the number of pregnancies in that age group was 1.5 million so it, it dropped from two and a half million to one and a half million. That's the number of pregnancies. The number of abortions dropped from the 930,000 in 1988 to 330,000 in 2017. So it dropped from 37% of the pregnancies being aborted back in 1988 to 22% of the pregnancies being aborted in 2017. Now, one abortion is too much. I'm not here to celebrate that 22% of the young mothers aborted their child. Okay, that's nothing to celebrate. 
it is moving in the right direction, of course, if it's gone from 37 percent of the pregnancies among the young people being aborted to 22 percent. It says that we are reaching them. Okay, we are getting to the young people and they're not getting pregnant. And if they get pregnant by a wide margin, not as many of them are having abortions. And that is good news. Now, there are going to be groups on all sides of the issue who are going to want to take credit for these reductions. Right? The reductions are real. The numbers are there. People say, oh, that's the Goodmacher Institute. Well, the Goodmacher Institute is, is pretty reliable in terms of the numbers. Now, the analysis of the numbers, which is what Planned Parenthood does, sometimes is pretty far off base. But the Goodmacher numbers are numbers we generally can rely upon. And so we've seen this tremendous drop in not only the pregnancies, but in the percentage of the pregnant teens who get abortions. Now, why is that happening? Well, I, you know, we, we looked at that here at American Life League, and you know, we, we think that uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, there is a lot of pro-life education going on. Right? A lot of people, a lot of programs for schools, a lot of education, uh, we have the sonogram out there. People can now see back in 1988, there were no sonogram machines uh, in every pregnancy center and every, you know, uh, that were readily available so that the teens could see the babies in their womb. That has had a major effect on the decision to have an abortion. And the education for programs such as the Cultural Life Studies Program has also educated our current teens on the facts of life. Right? Uh, there are the pro-lifers who are, have a peaceful presence outside of the abortion facilities and who get to talk to women and to turn them around. We're just in the last week here of 40 Days for Life, which takes place twice a, twice a year. And the 40 Days for Life people are reporting some 500 babies that were saved as women who were walking into the abortion facilities to get their abortion were turned around by the counselors who were there and were offered help that they needed. I think that, that one of the major reasons why these abortion rates have gone down, especially among teens, is the proliferation of pro-life resource centers around the country. Centers that actually help women who have a surprise pregnancy. Centers that not only want to see the baby born, but want to see the woman, the mother, advance her life. Centers that offer education programs that help women get their high school diplomas, who help women even who are in college to finish college and get their college degrees. Pro-life centers who will help a woman who says, well, if I don't have the abortion, I will get kicked out of the house and I'll have no place to go. And the pro-lifers say, not a problem. We'll have a place for you to live tonight. And I've been there. I go I travel around the country. I've been out in front of, of uh, abortion facilities all over the United States. And I've seen in action the pro-life counselors uh, at the abortion facilities who are hooked in with the pregnancy resource centers, and whatever the girl tells that her problem is, they are immediately on the phone 
getting her help. And this happens more and more across the country. This is why these numbers go down. It's not some magic formula, right? It is the hard work of every pro-lifer in this country, and especially the pregnancy resource centers. And I applaud all their work, and I applaud the work of the sidewalk counselors and everybody else who is involved in convincing those women, no matter what their age, who are with child, and that's the way we used to say it, right? They're with child. Now they're pregnant, okay? But we used to say with child because that's what they are. They have a child inside of them. It was a much more accurate term than what people are using today, right? So numbers are down. You ought to applaud that. Numbers are still way too high, of course. We don't want any babies killed. But the number of babies being killed is now down to 22% among the young people. By the way, interesting among this fact, because they, the good market didn't only look at the young people, they looked at those in their 30s and 40s who were getting pregnant. And what they found is the older people, those in their 30s and 40s, um, were actually having an increased number of abortions. So it, it's a strange thing there. But, but that's what the numbers show. Uh, we wanted to bring you the latest on that. And the, again, the, the study was done by the Guttmacher Institute. And if you want a copy of it, just email me at jsedlack at all.org or simply go on to any search engine and search on Guttmacher teen pregnancy abortion rates 2021. And the report will come up for you. Okay. We're going to switch topics here now, but for those of you who are just tuning into the show, my name is Jim Sedlak, and you are listening to Pro-Life Activism from Creation to Death on RadioMaria.us, a Christian voice in your home. Okay, i uh, going to completely switch topics here now and talk about brain death. You say, what? It's brain death. All right? Brain death is, is an invention, if you will of the transplant industry to be able to harvest organs, vital organs, from human beings before they are physically dead. Because once the human beings are physically dead, their organs are of no use for transplantation. All right? You can't transplant a heart that is not beating. Right? You take any organ that you only have one of, and you can't use that for transplantation after you die. Now, if you have two of the organs, for example, if you have two lungs or two kidneys, yes, they can take one while you're alive and transplant it and everything works fine. Right, hopefully, you know, with assuming compatibility uh, between the, the donor and, and the, the, uh, the person who is the recipient of the donation. But when you have only one of the organs, then it's impossible to transplant them after they've stopped working, after they're dead. And so they, they've had to come up with a way of saying you're dead before you're dead so that they can get at their organs. And the way is brain death. And they use some rules to, to define you know, brain death and you know, what your activity is. Now, in the very beginning of the whole concept of brain death, the rule that was put forward is complete cessation of all brain activity, okay? Complete cessation of all brain activity. That's what was defined as brain death because there are no 
you know, there's nothing going on in here, nothing going on uh, from the brains, right? A complete and irreversible cessation of all brain activity. That was the original definition of brain death. Today, that definition has deteriorated. And in fact, uh, the last we looked, there were 33 different tests that medical people could run to determine if you were brain dead or not. And out of those 33, there were six of them that did not require them to even measure the activity in the brain. Okay? Um, a long way from, from the original definition. And when we talk to, to, to people of various faiths, whatever, uh, one of the things we run into is the when we talk especially to Catholics, they say, well, John Paul II approved brain death as a measure of death, and therefore it's okay. And this has been repeated to us time and time again, okay? Well, it turns out that John Paul II did say that brain death seemed to be compatible with the church's teaching. He did that back in the year 2000, and he did it in a speech that he gave. And this is what everybody is quoting, because there has been no further quotes from the Vatican on brain death. And there is a new study out by two Catholic doctors who went back and looked exactly what John Paul II said. And what John Paul II said is not exactly what people think he said. Right? John Paul II said, and, and there is an entire two quotes of some length um, in an article that these two doctors wrote, the name of the article, uh, because you can go look it up and you can read everything for yourself. The name of the article is Brain Death, What Catholics Should Know. And it's by doctors Naguyen and Ebel, N-G-U-Y-E-N and E-B-L-E. Okay, but it's Brain Death, What Catholics Should Know. Uh, if you put that in a search engine, it will come up. It was published uh, this month in the Homiletic and Pastoral Review magazine. And among the, the main points of the article is they looked at what John Paul II said. And John Paul II, you know, really was relying on the definition that the brain death was the complete and irreversible sensation, cessation of all brain activity. Okay? That was the definition he was relying on. Okay? And what he said is that uh, based on that definition, as long as that definition is followed, as long as that definition is put into place, he said that if that definition is rigorously applied, that it does not seem to conflict with the essential elements of a sound anthropology, which means uh, as long as you're applying this complete and irreversible cessation of brain, of brain activity, then it seems to be in line with Catholic teaching. But I just told you it's not in line today. But people don't understand that, and they're still quoting John Paul II. So for anybody who is involved in end-of-life issues and treating you know, Alzheimer patients and treating anybody who is in an end-of-life condition, especially treating young people who have been in automobile accidents or plane accidents or train accidents or whatever, uh, you, you should understand what John Paul II said. He did not approve of the 33 different criteria 
that are currently used, six of which don't even measure brain activity. He was very, very careful, and it really wasn't an all-out approval. It had conditions to it. You need to know that. And so I invite you to go read this article, right? Brain Death, What Catholics Should Know, that originally appeared in the Homiletic and Pastoral Review magazine on March 12th of this month. Right? Uh, do that. Find out what that's all about, because it is very, very important, and it will be important when you're in the hospitals and someone is telling you, oh, it's okay, the Catholic Church approves this. It probably is not okay, right? Because nobody is, is following that, that uh, rigid criteria for declaring brain death anymore, at least not here in the United States. And so it's important that, that you know that. So here, here we've talked about the, the beginning of life with abortion, and now we're talking about the end of life with brain death. And of course, that's why you know, the show is called Creation to Death. Right. It is. We, we try to handle all of the various things that are going on. OK. All right. Uh, we're going to switch now off of brain death. Uh, last week we had on our show Austin Ruth of the, uh, the CFAM, who are the people who work at the United Nations, the pro-life people who work at the United Nations. And he explained last week what he does and the fact that he sends out a Friday facts every week, and we will be getting a Friday facts from him later today. But he actually sent out an alert this morning, and it's a short alert, so I will read it to you to let you know what's going on at the United Nations. And Austin says radical delegations at the United Nations, including the United States, are pushing hard for abortion and sexual deviancy, deviancy language in the document under negotiation these past few weeks at the Commission on the Status of Women. We will know at 5 o'clock whether we have won or lost, and we'll report it in the Friday Facts. And so if, if you're interested in, in following up on that, go to the CFAM website right, and, uh, and just look for today's Friday Facts, and you will have the latest information. But unlike when Trump was president and, and the fight at the United Nations was uh, to protect human lives and, and get rid of abortion. Uh, the fight at the United Nations these days from the United States is pushing hard for abortion and sexual deviancy. And that is happening right now, today, at the United Nations, has been happening for the last couple of weeks. And um, we'll give you a report the next time we're on the air as to what happened with that. But if you want to follow it yourself, uh, get to CFAM's website, and it's C-FAM. Uh, CFAM's website and, uh, you know, follow them, sign up for their Friday facts and you'll know what's going on every week. All right. Let's return now to, to the United States and our Congress and all of the stuff that is going on in the Congress being pushed by, unfortunately, the Democrats. Um, it, it really is a divide between the Democrats and Republicans with every now and then one person from one of the parties voting with the other, but it's pretty well along party lines right now. And we received warnings this week that there are two acts that are floating around in the uh, the Senate. They've already passed the House. One act is is the we've talked about before here on the show. It's the Equality Act, which attempts to make the homosexual community, the LGBTQ community. Um, essentially, the premier 
citizens of the United States, even though it's called the Equality Act. It makes the the, the homosexual community the premier ones with all the rights uh, and legalizes abortion or allows abortion to be performed at just about any time during pregnancy and will certainly increase the abortion effects. And um, so the Equality Act is there. And then also you may have heard that they are trying to resurrect the Equal Rights Amendment, right? also just generally called the ERA, which is the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, the Equal Rights Amendment has been around for a long time. In fact, uh, according to the original people in Congress um, to, who uh, you know, passed the ERA uh, and set a deadline for its ratification, it's, it's actually been around too long, okay, um, you know, the ERA was, was originally passed in Congress in the 1970s, and Congress set a ratification date of March 1979 as when it had to be ratified by then or it would go away. It has to be ratified. It's an amendment to the Constitution of the United States, um, essentially, again, legalizing abortion on demand uh, throughout the United States. That's the main reason people are pushing this. There's a lot of other bad things it does, but the legalization of abortion. Um, they did not make the March 1979 uh, deadline, right? And so Congress extended the deadline to 1982. They also didn't make that for ratification. So the the uh, the ERA has been dead since 1982. That is almost 20 years, right? 19 years if you want to be picky, okay? So 19 years ago, the ERA was dead, and there is now a movement among the Democrats in Congress to declare that it never died and that Congress can pass a bill by a majority of Congress saying, um, add it to the Constitution, even though it never was ratified by the number of states that it needed to be ratified by, even though five states who ratified it withdrew their ratification, right? and, and so it, it's not even close to being ratified. The, the Congress is pushing that. Now, what has happened in, in the Senate is that the Senate majority leader has basically labeled these two bills as extremely important bills, right? And by doing that, he is allowed to call them for a vote on without going through committees and do it on almost the spur of the moment. There's a few days he has to give, but it's almost the spur of the moment. So these bills can come up for a vote in the United States Senate anytime that they think they've got enough votes to pass them. And so what we're asking all of our listeners to do is place calls to your United States Senator. There's two in every state. Place calls to your United States Senator and tell them to vote no on the ERA and the Equality Act. You don't have to explain them. You don't have to get into any details of them. If you want them, we can get them to you. Just email me at jsedlock.org and ask for details. But you don't have to do that. You simply have to call up and say, I want Senator so-and-so uh, to vote no on the ERA and on the Equality Act and deliver that message. And if enough people deliver that message, then they will not pass and we won't have to worry about it. Okay. But it is important that you speak up because the other side, you can bet is storming the United States senators 
with phone calls saying, pass them. We want to pass. Now is the time to pass them. So we, we have to really take action. Pro-life activism is what we're about here. Take action on these two bills. The ERA and the Equality Act tell your senators to vote no on both of those bills. Okay. Uh, there, there is one, well, intermixed with everything I've been saying, there is some good news, there is some bad news. Well, I do have an item for you now that, that is good news, okay? And the good news is that in the state of Washington, out there on the West Coast, Planned Parenthood of the Great Northwest and Hawaiian Islands has closed down three centers, three clinics in the state of Washington. Now, the reason they have for closing is that the state does not reimburse enough money in Medicaid funds to make it profitable. They lose money on each of the the clients who get certain Medicaid services. And there are several articles out there on this, and one of them identified the fact that they lose $167 on each of their customers. Okay, I've often told you on this show that Planned Parenthood is not a benevolent health care organization. They are an organization that operates clinics, what they're now calling centers, as long as they're profitable. But if they're not profitable, they get closed down. And that's just what happened to these three clinics in the state of Washington. They got closed down because they weren't profitable. And by the way, in making this announcement, Planned Parenthood said that unless the government of the state of Washington increases the reimbursement rate, they will be closing six more. Now, that sounds like blackmail, right? Uh, you know, you give me more money or I'm taking my ball and going home. Okay. So they've closed down three. They're threatening to close down six more. And it's all over money. Now, remember, Planned Parenthood already gets $618 million a year in taxpayer money, but that's not enough. They want more. And they reduce it down to the lowest level, this, in this case, the state of Washington. And they say, you have to give me $167 more for each of these procedures or I'm going to go home. Okay. Now, meanwhile, there, there are, you know, these are not abortion procedures. These are other procedures which uh, family health centers in that state are routinely doing and providing even at whatever the Medicaid reimbursement rate is now. But not, that's not enough for Planned Parenthood. They want more money. And if there's ever an example that shows it, this is one of those examples. Planned Parenthood of the Great Northwest and Hawaiian Islands is one of the biggest Planned Parenthood affiliates in the country. But, man, if they don't make money in every clinic, they close them down. Right? It's, it's just the way they operate. It's the way Planned Parenthood has always operated. It's the way we get Planned Parenthood to close their clinics. You know, if you're not familiar with the numbers, back in 1995, Planned Parenthood had 938 clinics around the country. Today, they, have, they are down to 563. They've closed 375 clinics. And in just about every case, the reason was they weren't making money, right? Planned Parenthood is about 
making money. They, they pay a lot of salary to their high officials, not so much to the nurses in the, in the, uh, in the office or to the receptionists or whatever. Right? It's why Planned Parenthood people are out there forming unions right now to try to get fair pay. But they pay a lot of money to their CEOs around the country. And this is how they act. It's how they always act. Okay. So finally on our program today, um, we will not be here next Friday. Next Friday is Good Friday. And uh, the, the radio station does not do any live programming on Good Friday as, as uh, being a Catholic um, institution that people want to be home with their families, um, going to Good Friday activities, et cetera. So I just want to take this opportunity to remind you that, that the Holy Week is coming up, the, the holiest week of the year uh, for the Christian world. Right. People think that, that Christmas is our big celebration. People think that, you know, they, they Christians, they, they celebrate Christmas. This is the, their main celebration. Well, no, it's not. Okay. You know, it's Easter, right? You know, it's Easter when, when Jesus rose from the dead and overcame death and opened the gates of heaven. This is the big celebration in the Christian world every year. And it is coming up next week, and, and the days before then, the, 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 uh, the Holy Week uh, activities, the, uh, the uh, Holy Thursday activities, the Good Friday when we commemorate the, the death of Christ on the, course, on the cross, uh, all of this is extremely important. And we ask all of our listeners to take the time to get involved in this in your parishes, in your communities. Um, do not let this Holy Week go by without taking part in at least some of the activities during the uh, the week. I remember as a child, and 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 um, you know, for those of you out there who have children, uh, just know that the impact it makes. I know um, as a child because my father was in the construction business up in New York State. Um, he could not get time off during the summer months. Uh, to take a family vacation. So the family vacation would normally be at Easter time uh, when uh, when the, the schools were closed uh, and we could get some time away and we would travel down to Florida, uh, Daytona Beach, Florida, by the way, and, uh, and have a, a week's vacation and then come back. But on our trip down, which was always during Holy Week, um, our parents always made sure that we were stopping at a church for Holy Thursday uh, evening. Uh, services as we were um, stopping at a church on on Good Friday, uh, that we observed the hours between twelve and three as hours of silence. Um, all these things that you learn from your childhood that just carries forward. And sometimes I, I get the feeling that today's parents don't take them that so seriously anymore. But I, I think it needs to be taken seriously. And I think even if you don't have children to influence in your own lives that it is a good idea to, to recognize this coming week, this Holy Week, as something very, very sacred. This is the week that starts out with Palm Sunday, with our Lord hailed as a hero. And by Friday, he is hung from a cross, dead, placed in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, not even his own tomb, a borrowed tomb. And then on Sunday, on the third day, 
He arose from the dead, as he said he would. This is the important week of our Catholic faith, of our Christian faith. This is the week coming up that you should not just look at as, oh, this is uh, it's another week with a Friday off, okay? Um, if, if you work in a place that, that gives you Friday off, obviously here at American Life League, being a Catholic pro-life organization, we, we do not work on Friday, just like Radio Maria doesn't broadcast any live programs on Friday, right? Because it is such a sacred week. And I really implore you, implore everybody who is listening to this program to keep the sacredness of this week. It can set the tone for your whole year. If you suffer along with Christ during the week, then you can clearly celebrate with him on Easter Sunday. Having been symbolically at the cross on Friday afternoon and spent Monday, spent Saturday with all the churches bare, the only day of the year that you will not find the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the tabernacle in a Catholic church is during the day on Saturday, you know, after the crucifixion on Friday, right through Saturday until Saturday evening services. And then Sunday, the Lord comes back. The Lord raises from the dead the most sacred and joyful day of the year for Christians. And so in order to get your maximum enjoyment out of Sunday, please take the time during this week to suffer along with Jesus as we march towards the day when he liberates us all and opens heaven for all of us. I thank you very much for listening to the show. I hope we've been informative today and we will close our program the way we always are close our program, asking our Blessed Mother, Mother of God, please spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for listening.